is Tap In Time, a Chapman Stick podcast. Whether you've played the instrument for years or are just curious, if it's stick talk you're looking for, this is the place. So come along and stay a while. Hello and welcome to the Tap In Time podcast, episode number two. I'm Victor. I'm G. And I'm Rodrigo. And we're here to talk about all things stick and tapping related. On tap for this episode, although it's not necessarily limited to beginners, uh, it's something that everyone has to deal with, whether you're a beginning stickist or not. And so that's plugging your dual mono signal in. What do you do with it? But first, uh, we're going to do a little bit of catching up. We're all kind of hunkered down, uh, exercising social distancing here. And so we're going to just go ahead and get some updates on our musical journeys. So how about we start out with you, Gene? Yeah, so I am excited to uh, announce uh, a new arrival, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, another new arrival. Um, there was a, basically a 12-string maple grand that was for sale on eBay, and I snapped it up. It's a 2015 uh, maple 12-er with a passive four. It came with a lapdog. It came with a stand. It came with a set of extra strings. Greg Howard music book, you know, I was like, um, 2,100 bucks. Oh man. You hit the jackpot. No way. Bad. You know, I was like, are you sure you want to do this? But I was like, oh, and he's like, Gene Perry. It's like, I've seen some of your videos. And I was like, oh, I feel guilty, but I'm buying the stick, you know? And <laughs> oh, nobody Gene, bid on just... <laughs> it. I know it was cruel, but nobody bid on it. And, and then it was so funny because then Tony Rodriguez is like, oh, I saw that one. He's like, you got it. I'm like, yeah, I got it. I got the, the Maple 12 or. <laughs> Like, yeah, I was going to get that if he didn't, Gene. So um, so that's the new arrival. It's this bright, beautiful wood. It's got the, the smaller fret markers or the smaller rails. And, um, you know, a passive four takes a little getting used to, but it's nice because it's not battery operated. So I can leave it plugged in. And there's not that concern with the nine volt. A um, couple other items uh, of mention. Uh, a tune that I'm working on or just started to work on was uh, a Besame Mucho. And David Tipton has a wonderful version of that. So I'm looking forward to that. I've been doing some more work on the NS and so kind of comparing how when I'm using, uh, so I use a TRS cable plugging in. So I'm able to use the same kind of rig for my NS as I do for my stick. And I noticed that the pickups are a little hotter. Um, my active twos are a little bit hotter on the NS for whatever reason, so observation. So I'm also experimenting with a Roland PK5A, basically MIDI foot controller, which has been super fun. And uh, it also adds an ability to get like subsonic with your bass sound. So when you add that to your bass sound, it's just massive. So I've been really enjoying that. So and, that's like um, you can like shake the rib cages of your listeners? Yeah, you get that really low subsonic sound. And so I've been really enjoying that. So the stick doesn't get that. It's just a different fundamental. It's a different foundation and a different wavelength altogether. The, the other thing, so with regards to the 12 string, things that I've noticed, and of course, I'm, Victor, and I'm sure you guys have both gone through this in transitioning from the 10 to the 12, is the wider fretboard. Uh, it has smaller rails, and so my hands move across the fretboard much quicker. The, the, the hand kind of slides across the railboard so much easier than it does with the larger frets. Oh, that sounds pretty so, cool. So that was a mouthful. Rod, I'm sure you've got plenty to share what's, what, what's going on. So I'm switching back and forth every day between the, the railboard, my 12-string grand with the, the stick-up, and now with this new 
Dragonfly 10-string nylon string acoustic. Oh, a Dragonfly. Yeah, it's an amazing piece of, of uh, Master Luthier work because it's it's been built very well built as an acoustic instrument. Apart from being a fretboard tapping instrument, it really is completely different from, from, from my sticks. Either the strings are, it's because they're nylon, so they behave differently. Then the whole the scale is different. Everything's different about it. So I'm using it with, uh, with Amit's freehand technique. Uh, it sounds pretty much like um, if I'm playing a, a classical Spanish guitar with a, an acoustic bass with it. Uh, as the sticks go, I mean, it's roughly compared to playing electric guitar and acoustic guitar, so this is like the same thing. Different instruments for different uh, repertoire, I, I guess, because I was already doing different stuff between my uh, the rail board and the 12... The stick up on the 12 string, is, it sounds amazing. It's like the best thing I've ever heard or the best instrument I've ever had. So it's perfect. You know, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people yeah. just, you know, stick up is where it's at, it is. especially it is on that bass side. Yeah, well, everything yeah. on it. So I have like a bunch of, mainly my Bach repertoire is being worked for the 12 string, some traditional songs on the rail board. And the singing, that's where the, the acoustic really comes in because it's much less intrusive, the, the sound, accompanying my voice. So it's, oh, it's the voice that's interesting. To, yeah, it tends to get a lot more room with uh, just the, the acoustic instrument. The, the Dragonfly, well, it's relatively, relatively new. So um, it has a, like a piezo pickup beneath the glue to the, the top, on the back side of the top. So it has this piezo. It's like the stick. It comes out stereo. So... Uh, on one side you have the piezo, on the other side it all also has a condenser microphone. So, so is there more crosstalk then, since it's not really isolated by a magnetic pickup? It's completely crosstalk because it, you don't have isolation between the left and the right hand. What you do have, it's two different tones, one from the piezo and one from the microphone, and then you uh, mix it as, oh, you, okay. as you want to. It's the really hard part is everything is it's like it's a mono instrument, so you cannot separate both hands. It's dual. It's not dual mono. Yeah, it's it's like you have two different tones, but it's uh, both hands doing it. So it, it's it's fun. It's been a challenge relearning everything. So my left hand, because there's this physics of of low lows, right? So low notes have a lot carry a lot more energy, so they will overcome the high notes. Once you cannot separate them, right hand left hand, it has to be technique doing it. It's been challenging but it's been fun also so let me ask you on that uh, can it run a trs cable out into dual mono or does it actually have two quarter inch outputs no it has a trs coming out then goes into uh well the pickup the the, the dual system pickup uh, plus microphone is from k and k uh and they have it like uh that comes out on a trs goes on to um a preamp of their own making and then comes out the dual signal each one of them is processed differently. So usually I what I do is I have two small processors, one for the bass side, one for the melody side, with different presets for each stick. And with this one, it has its own presets, one for the mic and one for the um, piezo pickup. This would be a, a nice application of an SP2 or a step about because you could have a separate preamp Everything goes both as highs and lows and volumes. Yeah. I have the three instruments permanently connected to this little mixer. So I have three ins, and then mm -hmm. it comes out through the SP2, and then uh, separated into each of the, the effects processors. So Gosh. everything goes through the SP2. Wow. Yeah. 
and there were because I like I, I play one song, then I put it down and I play the other. I don't want to, you know, put the jack in and out all the time. So I have oh, everything's yeah. connected at the same time. Everything's oh, on. I so see. I just have to change the presets on the on the sound effects. Gotcha. On the processor. On the processor, yeah. So wow. wow. Okay. Everyone has their own thing with managing. It seems like some people just play a stick, but a lot of people will play a stick and like a mandolin or a bass or who knows what. So. That's a whole another uh, episode, though. You know, manage the the, the stick as a multi instrumentalist. You know, it's, yeah. it's like never ending. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Victor. How about yourself? Um, well, you have a new stick also. Well, yeah. I hope to do this kind of catching up uh, for every episode, and this one might be one of a kind because all three of us have a new instrument uh, that has recently entered our lives, and so that's kind of cool. So I'm going a little bit back to my stick roots, I guess you can say. My first stick was a 10-string bamboo with green polypearl linear inlays, and I really loved the look of that bamboo and those green linear inlays. I just thought they were beautiful. But then I traded that in on a 12-string Tarara that has been serving me well for the last two, two and a half, three years, something like that. That Tarara is a beautiful instrument, but it doesn't really appeal to me. I like the lighter tone of the bamboo. And so uh, a few weeks ago, I took delivery of a beautiful bamboo grand. And uh, oh, it's sweet. It's just, I love the look. Now, interestingly enough, you know, Gene, you just mentioned that your new maple has, uh, has the short rails. And uh, this has got the medium rails on it. Uh, so I've got, you know, I've been playing the large rails for, you know, my entire time until you know, three, four weeks ago, and now I'm playing it with these medium rails. And I'm not really sure I notice much of a difference just when I'm playing it. Uh, if I pick it up and I pay attention to how much I can feel the fretboard, um, then I can tell there's a difference. But when I'm playing, I don't really notice anything. So that was kind of an interesting observation. I didn't know what I would, you know, I didn't know if it was going to feel, you know, foreign or not, but it feels pretty much the same. Uh, and then... I have both a passive four and an active two because I played passive four for years and then I bought an active two a couple of years ago. And so I asked Stick Enterprises, you know, can I use my pickup? And Emmett said, sure, yeah, just send me your active two so I can set it up with the instrument. So I sent him my active two a couple months ago and I've been playing with a passive four ever since then. Well, now I get my new bamboo, you know, so I not only have a new instrument, but I like the way it looks. It's got my favorite pickup back on it, and it has new strings. And so, it, you know, you know that new <laughs> string sound. You get new strings oh, yeah. on your stick, and it just in, and it makes you sing when you pull your finger off. Zing. It makes you resolve. You know, oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna change my strings every six months because I love that new string sound. Of course, six months rolls around and you don't. Uh, but uh, <laughs> anyway, so that's kind of what's going on with me. Although, uh, uh, in, as far as music goes. I've recently decided I'm going to try and learn uh, Bach's uh, Prelude in C, that Rodrigo has a beautiful video up of him playing that uh, that uh, I recently yeah, watched. If you, yeah, if you go there, I have, I have the score mapped out, so you can you can download it for free. Oh, yeah, I'm probably not yeah. going to use a score, but now that you've told me, I probably will. You probably shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> <laughs> but, Forget uh, about the arrangement, but it's... it's, it's <laughs> It's, yeah. it's, it's cool. So we'll see. Those. We'll see how that uh, how that prog uh, progresses. I started in on it about two weeks ago, and uh, it'll be interesting. I watched you play it on your video, Rodrigo, and I'm going to be interested. I'm not going to watch you play it anymore until I'm well into the piece. And I'm curious. That guy. Oh, I want to see. I want to see if I approach it differently than you do. 
you know, in terms of, you know, what's played on the bass side, what's played on the melody side, because I did notice that, that, you know, there are some times where you're on the, where you're playing more on the bass side and sometimes more on the melody side, depending on what measure uh, it's in. And I'm, it'll be interesting to see if I land in the same place that you do. Okay, we're going to kick this one off. It's a four starters segment, and it's about dealing with two mono signals coming out of the instrument. So new or aspiring owners need to decide how to deal with this issue, and it's one of the most common questions that people new to the instrument have. Uh, at the same time, it's a subject that highly experienced players are also going to grapple with, and sometimes people make changes from year to year or month to month on how they approach it. That's what we're going to talk about now, and so Gene, why don't you go ahead and take it away for us? Sure, sure. We are talking about introducing new players and reacquainting old players with the concept of two signal pads on a single instrument. So think of uh, this as a dual output for a single beam concept. One of the primary unique qualities of the Chapman stick is the uncharacteristic ability to send the output to two separate signal pads. And while this may not come as news to a stickist or someone that is familiar with an instrument like the Chapman stick, I will never forget the realization I had as a bassist thinking, well, now I have two instruments of one, but nothing could be further from the truth. Through all my training and all my experience till then had been with a single output on a single instrument. So what we're going to do is, uh, at least in this part, is just give kind of a brief introduction as to how to grapple with that, how to recognize that and understand it. So from my personal opinion, over the years, what I've developed is this concept or this idea of the middle of the beam being the bass part of the instrument. And so that comes easy as a bassist for me. However, there are three or now four more strings that have a higher register that cross into the melody side of the instrument. And this is where you kind of step off from being a bassist or a guitarist, keyboardist, saxophone player, drummer, whatever it is, and you become a stickist because that index finger on your left hand becomes the bassist. And maybe sometimes the second finger's in there as well, but these uh, this third and fourth fingers, so your ring and your pinky fingers on your left hand, then be kind of, you, you've got this option in your bass side to decide, is this song a minor song? Is this song a major song? Is it a major seventh? Is it a minor seventh? Are we sixing it? Are we sussing it? There's so many different approaches, on top of which, and more to the point what we're talking about here is, what amp is that going through? So do you guys have any sort of angle on how to start the topic? I think everyone has a, a different way to look at it because I was hearing the way you put it. Actually, I imagine it quite different because for me, it's like, and coming from a sound engineering point of view, I look at the stick, at the dual signal of the stick, much like we do on, a, on an acoustic piano. You have usually two mics, one for the left hand for the low notes and one for the high notes. And the reason you do that, it's because the low notes have carried different energy. So you have to process the sound of the, the microphone that's catching the bottom end of the piano a little bit different than you do the high end. So oh, the way I wow, look at the stick no is just that. like this. So mm. it's like you have to work the, both signals differently because it spans so much. It's like, I don't know, sometimes you can have like five and a half octaves apart and it's too much for one single microphone or one single mono lined 
doing the sound because the bottom and the high, they're so far apart that you need to, to work the signal in different ways. So the Chapman stick dual signal, it's perfect because it's, it's a very complete instrument. So it has this very wide span of frequencies. And uh, I think it, it, it wouldn't make sense any other way because it's too much. It's too big, too, too far apart for, for both. But I, don't but I, suppose, I suppose what I struggle with, Rod, is as you get into the higher registers on the left hand, how they cross over and overlap with what you've got going on on the right hand. So now, and this can work in your favor or not, but it's just in terms of like EQing it or running a live rig, you know, you've got, now you've got basically like guitar strings coming through a bass amp. And like, look, it can be done. And I'm generally of the opinion that I, I run a pretty, the, the sound is pretty uniform. You know, I do put a little bit of processing on the right hand side and I do put, uh, I use a compressor. Apparently that's like a sin these days in the stick world, but I use a compressor on the right side. <laughs> and I make no excuses. I really like that compressor. But the, I suppose what I get as, and what I struggle with is, certainly with recording, is just those higher registers in the left hand. And so that's, that is really something, again, like this is when you become a stick player. And some people use that two-handed technique, you know, a two-handed bass technique on the, the left side of the instrument. Nick Beggs, Tony Levin use that process all the time. So it, it, it's different for everybody. No, I was going to cut in because that's actually it's one of the things that's why the, the stick and the stick related instruments, it's, it's so unique because it actually depends on what you're doing and what kind of music and the, the parts that you have for each hand. Because if you're like, uh, like matchsticks, you have a bass player on one, on one side and a guitar player on the other side. And this guy's playing both things, both instruments at the same time. If and you, singing. Yes, right. Yeah. So if you have like, if you're playing Bach, it's like you're playing one single instrument with a very big range of uh, frequencies. So it depends a lot on what exactly are you doing and how do you approach the instrument. If you're Tony Levin, you're approaching it as a bass player would on focus on the, on the bottom side of the instrument. So it depends a lot. You know, Victor and I had kind of kidded around with this analogy before, and that is, is it's the Vanagon analogy. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, right, I'm going to use it, Vic. I'm going to use it. So the, okay. You're going to do it. Okay. Is, yeah. All right. So the, the thought is a guitar, a guitar is like typical, like Honda, Ford or sedan, right? It gets you there and it gets you back. And if you've got a friend, you can bring them along. And if somebody's got an amp and an instrument, you can fit them in the back. But if you're bringing the drummer and the guitar, it's like you can't bring your girlfriend. Right. So, so that means that the drummer's going to have to find a ride. Right. Like, <laughs> this analogy is getting funner and funner. So, uh, so, the, so then you've got, let's say, like a pickup truck. So now you can bring the drummer, but then the drummer has to find a ride because you're giving your girlfriend a ride. Right. She's going to sit in the front <laughs> or he's going to be in the back, you know, with the instruments. It's illegal. Right. And so it's a, it doesn't work. So when you get into something like a van again or, you know, some sort of like conversion, van conversion, now you've got, Front seat, back seat, you've got room for storage. Heck, you've got something that folds out into a couch. There's a kitchen back there with a fridge and a sink. And it's like you can <laughs> live in this thing. And this is what the Chapman stick is in terms of a car. If the, if the Chapman stick was a car, it would look a lot like a Vanagon. Because somebody <laughs> says, hey, play a walking bass line. Your two hands on the bass side and you can kind of make sense of the fifths uh, tuning and, and deliver something that makes sense. Um, if someone says like, you know, I'm playing an acoustic guitar and singing. Can you play the bass line? But I might also need some part on this section. You're like, yeah, I can do that. Or if you're playing unaccompanied, well, you're just your own symphony, right? So there's all kinds of options. You can throw in MIDI. 
You can throw in like huge effects chains on either side. You know, there's so many different ways you can approach the instrument. So how we're going to approach this segment is, is how do different players approach this aspect of the Chapman stick? And a great place to start, first person I heard play the stick and someone who, someone who kind of influenced me to play it would be Tony Levitt. Yeah, and I just want to say that as we dive into looking at these, you know, by the way, if it comes across like we're putting a player in a box, uh, we're not. No, that's a great point. So, so Tony, Tony uses both sides very effectively. Um, you know, the stuff that he does in Stickman and, and things that he's done in other projects. You know, he's a bassist, and so he's kind of called on to play that part. So, and a lot of these guys, you know, we're all personal friends with them. The stick community is only so big. So, uh, a great point to make. They're not limited, but certainly. This is what we're familiar with. These are the videos that I've seen, and so this is my experience. So starting with Tony Levin, and uh, I think personally, you know, an introduction for a lot of bass players into the stick world, you know, Tony Levin does, certainly on those three kind of middle crimson albums, which again, as I'm using as my reference, he does all this fantastic two-handed work on the left hand. And so um, it, it feels like as a bassist, you can be in two places at once because you're in the same register but you're on different strings and you have different tones because of the size of the string. And so you've got this magnificent and unique sound as a bass player. So that's one way of approaching it. And if you're playing that way, and if you have a TS cable, you just plug the thing in, right? And you're ready to go. You don't have to really worry about splitting the signal. What you might have to worry about is just muting the melody side. Another two-handed player that was a pioneer with MIDI was uh, Nick Bakes. Now, again, also a two-fisted player that plays both sides, but again, in the role of a bassist um, in a number of different bands that he's played with. And I have a lot of learning to do with Nick Bakes because I've seen some of the stuff that he did with John Paul Jones, and he's very much the guitarist and the bassist in the band. So a very interesting role. And... Um, one that was so cool to see, John Paul Jones, someone who I really admired growing up and listening to, um, how he how he facilitated the chat and stick. Uh, moving on to some other players would be David Tipton, uh, you know, who I have this kind of fondness for because he's he's really playing in the same way that that I would like to play, and that is as kind of a, a this minstrel, this song, uh, this this provider of songs that can walk into a room, look around the room and say, this song's gonna be perfect for this crowd. It's a younger crowd, it's an older crowd, and uh, he's told me some fun stories about how it's a younger crowd, he, he'll play some Katy Perry, and even though, you know, it might not make a big deal, but for, <laughs> when, when you hear something like that, and I've experienced this as well, I, I remember this song called Fireflies by um, Owl City that I play, and people come up to me and they're like, oh, I love that Owl City song, I can't believe that you, that you know that one, and I'm just like, yeah, I learned it from my daughters, because they love that tune. So um, anyways, in terms of like the two-handedness and how he approaches it, he's a soloist. You know, Rodrigo, I know that you're oftentimes in this position as well. Yeah, these days I only play solo, so I, I kind of ditched the, the bass gigs, <laughs> which which was at, at a certain point I just I didn't have enough time to dedicate to the bass anymore, so I had to make some choices, tough choices, and had to invest all my time in, in the sticks. So I do it. Alone, and that's I've been playing with people. I've been a session musician for close to 30 years now, so mm. I'm tired of playing with musicians. I want to play alone, <laughs> so mm. that's my thing. <laughs> uh, plus, I've been wanting to play Bach since I was a kid, Dude. and uh, and the instruments I chose so far just didn't cut it. So, 
this one does. That's what the, the future brought me. It was an instrument I can play alone, so I can develop all sorts of things from composition to writing to, uh, to relearning classical music, to be a soloist, to improvise, to whatever. So the instrument brings, brought me this, which is a, a whole universe of things I can do on my own. So, yeah. Um, well, the arrangement, it's, it's the puzzle, like putting the puzzle together. Exactly. And how you arrange it your own way and like you know this Bach piece, but this is how you're going to play it. And maybe at some point you, you use your thumb at one point to hit a note where you couldn't hit it because just the nature of your hands are crossed over and you can't interpret it a certain way. So, but that being said, now, Vic, I know that you're playing it. Um, you're playing in bands with part of your worship group, right? Yeah. And generally speaking, I'm the bass player. But uh, at the same time, though, you know, going back five minutes or 10 minutes when Gene, you were talking about how the, the bass side of the instrument is, it's the bass and it's also, maybe it's the keyboard or it's the rhythm mm. guitarist, you know, and so your left hand can do stuff. And actually, that's a concept that I think people have been trying to explain to me for quite a while. I think Steve Adelson tried to explain it to me. And I think, uh, you know, I read it in other places and stuff. But for some reason, it didn't click until about two years ago. And so I've been trying to catch up and, and learn what that means. And, uh, and you talk about the way to approach the instrument, you know, you got a bass and a guitar in one, in, in one instrument, or you've got a piano that just happens to have strings you're tapping. That's kind of where I've been trying to go lately. Uh, and I've been, I've been, I find I've been playing more stuff where I could put the stick in mono mode and have the same sound across the instrument. You know, that's, yeah. that's a good way to approach a Bach piece um, or, or other pieces. There's also then, you know, something that, that I'm weak in, is you know using effects you know I, I don't know what to do with the bass side to be honest yeah, you know, I, I don't, know I don't run any effects I, I don't run yeah. any effects on my bass side I cue it yeah. basically um, and so. to your to your point about um well you have kind of a a new perspective on things whereas I think Rod and I are both coming from the bass side something that I found with the stick that I've had to change fundamentally and we're kind of digressing now but I guess we do that here is leading <laughs> with my pinky or my third finger in the left hand because then I have all this real estate on the other side of it. When I'm playing a bass, I, I tend to lead with like my first finger and the third finger kind of comes along. You know, the first finger is like my first thought. But when I'm playing the stick, I'm like, if I put that first finger down, now I'm locked and this whole other lower half of the Chapman stick is off limits. And so now I have to be oh, like, yeah. oh, okay, we'll let the pinky start that conversation. And it becomes a whole different thing. And so, and then there's a lot more kind of linear motion left-handed. Guys, we are wildly digressing, but I'm enjoying this so much. <laughs> it's like therapy. I love it. No complaints. So listen, let's, if it's okay with you guys, uh, unless anyone else has anyone else to add to that, I wanted to I think, I think we get back. Yeah, last, last thing that was actually on topic, I think you were talking about David Tipton. <laughs> David Tipton. <laughs> uh, a man after my own heart. So, so let's talk about a few other players and how they play. So Bob Culbertson, you know, obviously brilliant, the Segovia of Chapman Stick, not an exaggeration, um, an unaccompanied soloist and ventures into many different arenas. Yeah. So can I just say something about Bob? I mean, that guy, <laughs> that guy, that guy, yeah. no, the guy. You know, I've had the pleasure of, of, of being in a room and seeing Bob play uh, at a couple of seminars for several nights and, you know how there's this, it's kind of a cliche, you know, tone is in the fingers. Mm. Tone exists in Bob's fingers, and that's why he's able to make 
things happen the way he does with such minimalistic effects. And it's I think really, you know that more than me do because you've actually tried to, you've plugged the guy into a, a right. system Right, so uh, a great a great analogy. We talked about this a little earlier, Rod. You weren't around for this one, but uh, when we were setting up for the Freehands Academy, I had a single you know, uh, K-12 and I were plugging them in. And I thought, oh, you know, I've got a little reverb pedal, plug this in on his melody side. He's like, not too much reverb. And he wasn't, I mean, he didn't like threaten me or anything or point his finger at me, but he's like, he's like, oh, make sure not to put too much reverb on the right side. Whereas I slather things in reverb. I'm like, I can't, there's not, the dial doesn't go far enough, you know, like, but Bob's like, oh, <laughs> he doesn't want it to interfere with the dynamics. And he's very much like an acoustic player. And Rodrigo, I think you kind of approach it the same yeah. way. Yeah, 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 and you can see, you can see it the way he approaches the, the arrangements and the way he plays. Everything is in more in his head and he's in his fingers than mm. actually on the, on the EQ oh. on the the electronic part of the signal. So I, I think you can see that the way he plays yeah. it, the sound, the tone is in his fingers. I, I like how you put that. How it's in his head because he's embraced that crossover part too. He does that so well. He just it's just a big. Grid. I don't think he thinks of it in terms of left or right or bass or melody. It's just strings on a fretboard, and he makes beautiful sound doing it. Yeah. So a couple other players that we'd have to mention in kind of that same league would be uh, Greg Howard. So another phenomenal player who's really fantastic with technique. So something that he has you know, definitely been a pioneer in is uh, technique and notation for the instrument. And there's the step about, right? Like, so he invented and created the step about, which is an instrument that allows EQ for both sides. But then what's so unique about this, and this is, I think, on point for what we're talking about, two different signals. It actually flips the melody and the, and the bass side effects signal chain. So you can actually have the bass side effects on the melody side or vice versa or both. So the step about huge game changer, like it, it makes you kind of rethink your rig. Uh, what, what else can we say about Greg? Yeah, he's done everything. I mean, that's just improv. You know, he yeah. throws two-handed bass into stuff. And he's also the technical side of things, you know, signal management and stuff. You know, he, mm -hmm. he comes through and, and at seminars, you know, he, he actually looked at my pedal board and he didn't laugh at it. He just told me how to make it work better. Because, <laughs> you know, my pedal board is very simple. I've got a multi-effects pedal for each side of the instrument going into a mixer and that's it and he looked at what i was doing and, and he said okay well you know you need to do this and this and this and so, so I, that that technical side you know he's not the only stick player that could have given me useful feedback i know but you know he's he just speaks so comfortably about it because he's seen it all he knows exactly what's going on with all those little elves that are running around inside of all these things that we're trying to use i haven't spoken to with him about this but he definitely knows the his way around the sound engineering thing concept of of using right. this instrument and going it through, through the right rigs. I would like to add uh, that Greg has this the same as Emmett. Emmett's invention. No one knows where it will end and, and how how far it will go, and all the possibilities are not yet explored. So I think some of of Greg's concepts of in in terms of technique, uh, the, the whole three finger four finger discussion, all that. I think. I have this feeling that it, we're not seeing how far it can go if you if because the way he uses it and what it can be achieved tone-wise using that technique it's not even been properly explored 
Yeah, this makes sense. So I, I'm, 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 I'm talking. I'm always yeah, the instrument is so young that yeah. uh, there's so much ground to cover. I'm specifically yet. talking about uh, classical repertoire because classical music is very specific. You have a bunch of things that you have to do in order to make it sound good. So it's a little bit different than well, all the, the rest of other music. And uh, I think technically wise, uh, the the some of of the the things that will be possible to do on the stick in terms of classical music and making it sound good enough to compete with classical instruments, it will have to go through the way Greg envisions the, the, the technique. That's my feeling. So it's a personal thing, but yeah. personal opinion. So to, to add to that, Greg actually posted the great unified three finger bass strategy. So I don't know if you've seen this, he live streamed the other day, and this is part of a, a series of free lessons that he's giving since we're all kind of holed up with COVID-19. And so uh, it's out on his website on greghoward.com. Um, yeah, I know that. Like, So when we're done here, I guess we're all going to kind of head over there. And to kind of wrap up this segment about roles and how people use it, um, no like stick discussion would be complete uh, without mentioning Steve Adelson. So also yeah, phenomenal. Steve leader in our kind of, uh, and, and again, you know, I'm talking about North American players. So Rodrigo, we could talk about Guillermo, we could talk about Pascal. Um, this is, I mean, yourself obviously, but there's another of, of other like longtime players, Matthias. UN Lanho and stuff like, like right. UN, yeah. my perspective is very kind of based here and, you know, mostly in the United States, but I also, there's phenomenal amount of players in Central and South America that I'm not bringing to the conversation, but only because of my own naivety. So there's others we can discuss, but the thought, one I thought I might conclude with would be Steve Adelson because he's a jazz player. And while he does play bass lines, he's not a bassist. I mean, he's a guitarist that became a Chapman stick player. So I feel like he covers the bass and he does a fine job of it, but the crazy gypsy Django stuff he's got going on on the right hand sometimes eclipses those bass lines. The bass lines are good, but the what the things that he's doing in the in the right hand are amazing. And then you couple that with the this encyclopedia of sounds that he has available to him using MIDI. Yeah. So when I was taking lessons with Steve, you know, we didn't we didn't spend a great deal of our time talking about, you know, how to manage a signal chain and stuff, but we did spend some time and he has so many options at his disposal you know he can he could he, he's got his own sound but if he's playing a song that he wants to sound like you know eric johnson he can do that if he's got a sound or he wants to sound Jeff like Beck. led zeppelin he's got that he's got the he's Jeff a big Beck Matheny sound. Fan. he's got Matheny. Yeah, yeah yeah no no kidding that's like uh, i think Montgomery, you know he's, yeah. when i watch steve play he does not have to think i don't know I, right. I don't want to i don't want to create a hierarchy but you know he's he was one of the earliest people to get a stick and he thinks that fretboard on a stick so stinking well i mean he you know if he wants to do something it just happens you know yeah. and and so he's got you know he's got this familiarity with the fretboard that goes way back into the 1970s a big also so he he has technique but he's also more about the theory side so the same way that greg is able to approach the technique side uh, Steve just owns this theory, you know, he's this circle of forks and in this key, you can do this. And, and, and he, he's really embraced that. And, and, to, and what he'll do is, you know, when he comes to a gig, he's like, where's my bass amp? Where's my guitar amp? 
And that's that. And he doesn't talk at all about like rig or any reverb or this, that, and the other. You know, he'll want to get some EQ settings, you know, basically, but like, where's the guitar amp, where's the bass amp? And so for him, it's not like it's a unified sound. It's like, uh, this is my bass side and this is my melody side. And uh, another kind of thing about Steve that I think is so unique is he can pair with anyone. You can pair him with the singer, you can pair him with the percussionist, you can pair him with the trombone player, you can pair him with um, you know like a, a pianist or or an acoustic guitarist that plays in that kind of Barney Kessel style, and he will light it up. Can I cut in and say agreeing with you? The way I see it, uh, even if, if Steve Edelson is one of the, the greatest chick advocates, the way I see his music, it's Steve is the one that's not, and I say this as a compliment, he's not an instrumentalist, he's the musician, you know? Mm -hmm. He could do that if he were playing a piano, if he would be a guitar player, bass, whatever, he would be that good and that, that fulfilled uh, as a musician because he, the way I see it, he's just uh, playing the music, you know? Instead mm -hmm. of uh, thinking... Uh, stick related whatever uh, when he, mm -hmm. when we see him play it's just it's the, in this case jazz or the martini songs or whatever it's just the music he's just doing whatever his hands are doing whatever they need to do in order to to make the sound that he's hearing in his head so it's like he's the the the, the accomplished musician yeah uh, and, and like yeah. You put a chart in front of him and a jazz musician it's like learn the same song learn every single key every single flat every single sharp Steve's that guy where you can just transpose on the site. I think yeah. we're... So I just wanted to say one more thing about, about Steve, oh, good. Just, okay. because, just because it's this crowd. Gene, a couple of years ago when, when, when you and I were first starting to struggle with box invention number eight, Mm. And and I remember that uh, that you and I were on Skype and and we were we were trying to do uh, an analysis of the eighth invention and we were trying to turn it into a chord chart just to try and understand these crazy mm -hmm. things that 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 Johan was doing. We call him Johan here, <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> but you know there were some there were some spots that we didn't really have you know we weren't really confident about. Well, I happened to have a lesson with Steve three or four days later and he was willing to talk Bach with me for the entirety of our lesson as I was trying yeah. to play through it and show him so, so anyway that was that was really cool you got this jazz musician he runs a long beach jazz festival at least he did when he lived in new york That's and right. and all these things and and he had no problems at all he was right at home talking bach because you know he'd studied it too so anyway i just wanted to say that as a as a cool sure. anecdote as someone who took lessons from the guy for a couple years yeah a, a marvelous instructor and a, a, just a lovely person all, all these stick players are you know we, we, it's so nice to be able to have uh, this close personal relationship with them even if we only see them you know once a year so i think we're good to wrap up this segment so what we'll talk about next is is basically like an introduction to input and output on a dual mono instrument um, which you've titled appropriately it's time to plug it in we are going to talk about uh how to run signals in and out of a dual mono instrument, in this case, the Javin stick, right? It's time to plug it in. So one of the aspects that is unique about the Chapman stick is its mono operation. Now, if you have a stick up, it's not really an option. The stick up is a humbucker that is Emmett's original design for the pickup on the Chapman stick. The older versions of the Chapman stick actually have a wooden housing. That's actually pretty cool. And you can see like the grains on the pickup. It's a very kind of unique design. So while the stick up has volume for each side, it doesn't offer tone. It doesn't really offer anything other than volume. 
and requires basically two outputs. So if you're going to run it mono, you actually have to run it into a mixer or you have to run some sort of Y plug. So the stick up is kind of limited in that regards, even though it's a lot of times kind of the favored pickup of many stickists. Other options for mono mode on the various other types of pickups, at least for the wood instruments, are the active two and the passive four. And, and uh, Victor, I'm going to hit you up in just a second to be about your experience with those two. But the active two pickup has uh, a mono switch. And when you switch that mono switch, it will run mono on the bass side. So that gives you the tone effect and the volume effect, but it comes through the bass side. Passive four. A little more complicated, uh, a pair of Villex pickups on each side for, of the Chapman stick, and it doesn't have control relative volume. That is, it's controlled using a, a trim pot. So, and you can't really do that in a live situation, but what's unique about the Passive 4 is that it actually runs out on the melody side when you're running it in mono mode. So if you're running it into your rig, right, you're gonna be running through your guitar side. So before we go any further, Victor, I know you've recently kind of gone back and forth between the passive four and the active two. You want to like kind of chime in on that? Yeah, there's not a whole lot left to say about it. Although, as you mentioned, the passive four is a little more complicated to use in mono mode. And in a way, it's a little bit more limited because with the passive four, when you flip the mono switch into its mono mode, the signal does go out the melody side, but you're basically, you have a set relative volume between the two sides, between the bass and the melody that is controlled with, again, as you mentioned, uh, is controlled with a trim pot. And uh, the pickup selectors are still independently controllable, but the bass side is going to be going through the filter setting of the melody side. Gotcha. Uh, so there's a little bit of a, of a limitation there. And now the passive four in my mind is a pickup for more, shall we say, advanced sound engineers, I guess, um, sure. because it doesn't have a sweepable tone knob. It's got discrete filter settings and you can make beautiful sounds with it. If your name is not Victor Bruin, I just don't <laughs> understand that pickup well enough to really know what to do with it because I'm, sure. you know, I'm, I'm kind of new to the whole tone shaping thing and I really haven't put a lot of effort into it. But the active two, when you flip the mono switch, the tone and volume controls are still active. It's just sending it all through the bass side. Of, gotcha. of the TRS. And so uh, I would just like to say, I think everyone that's got a pickup with a mono mode, whether it's a passive four or an active two or an R block as Rodrigo's got, I think it's good to just switch it to mono mode and run dry every once in a while, because mm -hmm. you can kind of hide your playing technique issues behind effects. You know, even something as simple as reverb will mask if you're not making good contact with the string. Uh, you know, sometimes reverb will make it sound better than it really is. So every once in a while, you know, that's my one piece of technique advice I would give because I'm really not qualified to give much more. But I would say, yeah, throw your pickup into mono mode once in a while and see what you yeah, sound like. It's good to do. You might learn something that you need to work on. <laughs> so anyway, that's really about all I've got to say. So the, the R-Block, which is the only pickup that is available for the rail board, it was the last part of the rail board that became available. And so uh, I do recall back in the day, Emma talking about it, and it was like, you know, like, ah, I've got the board worked out. I've got the tuners worked out. I've, you know, I've got the way this, you know, all this CDC reality and the, the pickup was this last component. The R block is very unique. So designed exclusively for the rail board. The R block is, has very unique operations, including mono stereo operations. 
I would invite you to explore this on stick.com. We can get into the details of it right now. We intend this part of the segment to be a little bit shorter, but uh, there's a fascinating description of how the R block is used in mono mode, in addition to being able to use it with phantom power. And with that, Rod, I might reach out to you and ask your experience, starting with the R block and then moving to the stick up and how you've kind of contrasted those two pickups in various different stereo mono configurations. Well, I have to say, I never really tried it in mono because it just messes me up. Personally, I work the tone outside after the instrument, so I do it on my... Uh, multi-effects processors so that's where i do it so i just leave it uh, with this setting which is everything turned to the right so both sides turn to the right and then comes out stereo and then i, I work the the tone in the the processors but gotcha. the only thing i can say that's using it with the phantom power on so that will add some volume some signal it's much hotter when you have it plugged in with phantom power it's much hotter and it's a little bit brighter than when you don't mm -hmm. The uh, signal noise ratio, it's the mm. same. It's just higher or lower. And it's much brighter with the phantom power on. But other than that, it's it has filters and all this stuff, but I don't really use it. I just have the whole thing just on the red and then I, I process the sound after. So, yeah, uh, and, and that's generally how I do it. The, old, the What I do like about the Active 2, I will say, as a basis, I do like the ability to roll a little tone off on the bass side on the Active 2. And I remember I didn't realize how much I liked that until I was in a live performance and I was playing inside and the bass side felt kind of bright. And I went to go change it and I was on my passive four. I was like, I could turn it down, you know, or I could change the pickup, you know, but like can't really. And this is why, and this is one of the benefits of being able to manage it from your effects processor or like preamp or some sort of EQ. Just let me say something because I forgot about the the stickup. So the stickup going back and forth between both pickups, uh, they are very different in tone. Uh, the stickup, as you said, it's much simpler, but they're so different. It's like having two different instruments. So th there are particularly uh, usable in different with re different repertoires. Again, depending on what I want to do and how I want the instrument to sound, I will use one or the other. So. That's and then, Rodrigo, I know we're talking about the pickups and mono operation, but you, you did, in a previous kind of dialogue, you had mentioned about having, you know, you're using a railboard and the dragonfly and your 12 string with a stick up. And, and so you don't use the same cable going into your rig. I have all three instruments connected with their TRS. So three TRSs going to one very small mixer. And then that mixer brings the, well, it mixes both left and right. And then that one goes into the SP2, meaning the, the preamp. And from the preamp, then it goes into the multi-effects processor. What I have is like different presets. So if I have the railboard, I press 1-1 one, one in both processes. And I have the tone for the railboard. If I'm using the Dragonfly, the same thing. I press 2 and it changes. So it's uh, everything's connected at the same time. I don't have to plug in and plug out. That's something that I really don't like to do. Gotcha. I think that broadly covers the kind of the mono operation. I suppose the one thing that I wanted to, one of the two things that we wanted to add is that we want to include, uh, or at least give kind of a, I guess a shout out to Greg Howard for the meet the stickups video, uh, because actually that's meet the pickups, meet the pickups, not meet the stickups. Uh, <laughs> meet the pickups. So although the, you do meet the stickup, you do meet the stickup, and and uh. It's a great video to to get for the new player to get an idea of what they sound like. 
say it's one of the essential yeah. videos you have to to watch when you're thinking about getting a, a Chapman stick. Yeah, right. Rodrigo Serra required reading. <laughs> Me to the pickups, right. and I concur. So, uh, and I suppose the last thing I'll say on the pickups is there is I've noticed when switching to mono about a fifteen, maybe ten to fifteen percent reduction in the volume, and that's been explained to me a couple of different times, but. I don't recall why that is, but you will experience that running in mono. All right, at last we are talking about cabling options for mono and stereo. So this is the point at which you actually have a cable and you have an amp and you're connecting your Chapman stick to the cable to the amp. Out of the box, the Chapman stick comes with a TRS to dual mono cable in varying lengths, 10, 15, or 20 feet. And basically the, the part that you're plugging into the Chapman stick is a tip ring sleeve cable. And it carries two signal pads, whereas a tip sleeve cable, which is a standard kind of TS, actually just uh, carries an unbalanced signal. Number of different ways you could run this is generally, like I said, uh, TRS to dual TS, which is the most common way. You can run TRS to a combined TS, which is like using a pedal almost as like a mixer and then running a single output and running it mono. Um, or you could run TRS into TRS. And so that means you've got something on the other side that will accept a TRS input. That being said, let's actually plug the darn thing in. So the simplest option when you actually get a Chapman stick is just to have a cable, let's say you've got an active two pickup and you switch it into mono mode and you plug it into a bass amp. You can do that for free. Uh, if you have uh, a stick up, obviously you've got a little kind of two to one adapter that's gonna feed uh, these two TS signals into a single TS signal. Just let me say this, the simplest option with the stick up, you just pulled out the, 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 the jack just a little bit. <laughs> You can do that and you can get away with it. So it's starting, but that would be the perfect place to start. I remember, I remember somebody telling me that, just being like, just pull it down a little bit. And I was just like, wow, look at that. Um, that's it. That's, I've had to do that at a gig. I, I use a lot in, in the studio, particularly with listening with headphones and stuff like that. Sometimes you don't have, uh, people don't want uh, a stereo on the headphones or they just need something different, whatever. And most of the times it just, take the thing a little bit out and you have a stereo sound. It's perfect. So you, we'll buy it. So, so <laughs> the idea is that you grab the TRS cable, it's plugged into the Chapman stick and you pull it out about maybe 17, 18%, you know, and you get, yeah, and, and you kind you of get signal going through both sides. The same. <laughs> that also, you can do that with a stick up. So, uh, so that's, that's the first option. So, uh, Another option is to sum the two signals into a mono signal and send it into a single channel amp. So you could take something like a, a, a summing preamp, like a step about or an SP2. Now with the SP2, you need TRS to TRS because it takes a TRS input, but you can then run that TS mono out. If you're using a step about, you're going TRS to TS, and then you're running either mono or two channels out. So you'll need either one or two inputs. Um, you can also run those into separate signal pads. So another, and then another option is two-channel amp, and which I have, uh, which is like a Mark Base. I think it's the EVO one. So it actually has two channels on the base amp. You'll see something like that also in the QSC K12, which has two separate inputs with volume control. So and this all kind of comes down to what are you using and 
it's going to be different in every case. So like Rodrigo, in your live rig, you're running three different inputs, TRS inputs. What are you using for a mixer in that case that, that accepts TRS inputs? I have this this little mixer uh, from ART, which can you can have four stereo inputs mixing into one stereo output, or you can have the other way around. You can have one stereo input getting out, multiplying by four. So it comes, you have like four times the same signal getting out. So it's a splitter or a mixer. You can use it both ways, but either way it works with a TRS cable. So it's four stereo signals. So I just put all the instruments in one out and it goes into the rest of the, the rig. So. so basically you're using it, you're using it as a switch then. Is that right? So the, the principle of a mixer, you, I put all instruments in and then I combine that because it has like uh, some trim pots. You can combine mix the volumes if you want to make them, you know, fairly equal because every pickup has a, a different uh, signal, higher or lower. It's a mixer without EQ, okay. without effects, without anything. It's just a four line mixer. You can use it with, with mono cables or you can use it with stereo cables. So, uh, okay. Gotcha. Okay, so that's a, an ART and that's a pedal. Is that like the black one with like the purple letters on the top? Very small thing, you know, it's the same size of a DI box. Uh, I, I have it on the pedal board and it's gotcha. just, uh, it's, it's a very, very small thing. So I, I, I think I've, I have one of those. And the, the one that I had actually had, the, I think there was an option to move it to left or right channel. But, you know, I can't recall now. It was one of these pedal board phases. Trying to do right. less is more, right? But uh, I have kind of a different process for for switching out between multiple instruments. Um, I kind of like yours better, which is something I might explore. So really quickly, yeah. getting back into to what we were talking about, um, in the same way that you've got these different players that are using the instruments different ways, you've got different ways that you can use different amps and rigs, and it's really kind of like a guitar player's world. So. Guitar player runs a single signal, you know, they run into their amp, maybe they use a four cable method where they're running back to their pedal board. And in the case with the Chapman stick, it's always, it's almost always going to be unique. So something that I see a lot is uh, an option for a powered speaker, which gives you that full range capacity, which is really convenient. So Emmett tests with the K12, with the pair of K12s, which are full range speakers. And so he'll run out of his mixer and do all the processing on his mixer and then right into this, this pair of K12s. Now, I like that because those speakers, you can also adjust from a line level and a mic level, at least on channel one of the K12, you can switch between mic and line level. Let's see, the, the other option is like, you know, if you're using a combo amp or a preamp. Now, I think, Vic, you're using a combo amp, are you not? Yeah, I'm using a combo amp. So I have a mixer on my pedal board. So basically I run the, the two signals for the bass and the melody side of the instrument. I run them separately and then I run them into a mixer and then I can send a mono signal out from the mixer and I just go into, uh, you know, I happen to have a Mark bass, bass amp. Now for a while, before I really knew what I wanted to do, I got a $75 Behringer K900FX keyboard amp off of Craigslist. And so that was like my $75 solution. And uh, yeah, and now it now I bought it because I just wanted something cheap. I wasn't performing, I was just learning the instrument and I just wanted something I could plug my instrument into that I could just use the Y cable that came with my stick. And that was like a $75 solution that let me just learn how to play the instrument. And so, you know, if you want something cheap, 
go on Craigslist, find yourself a cheap keyboard amp. Some of them sound pretty good. You know, I think you did song of the week the entire That's year right. on the same amp that I have. So obviously it works well, even though, you know, you can look at it and say, oh, the impedance matching is off and it probably mm -hmm. is, but you know what? It still makes noise and it still works well. So, you know, if you're out there and you're wondering, you know, what do I do with my new stick? You know, someone tell me what to do. Great. Go to Craigslist, find a keyboard amp, make sure it has two inputs or maybe an acoustic guitar amp with two inputs, buy it, set it on the floor, plug the Y cables in and you're ready to rock. You may not be ready to perform out in public, but <laughs> if you're just learning the instrument, you're not ready anyway. So it was a great, it was a great coffee shop in. And it's got separate uh, effects levels for each channel. The EQ yeah. was sufficient enough that, that I could get by. And like I said, if you want to get something done, you know, it's just it's like better done than perfect. But what I found is there's a lot of stickists are like, it's like Emerson Lake and Palmer, you know, and there's these like huge patch bays up there on the stage and everybody. And, and like, do that, go there, have fun and, and freak out. But then also tune your instrument plug it into a single channel amp and just play like, you know, something simple and, and try to get some tone out of it in the same way that, you know, Bob might, right? <laughs> um, so we covered basically how, like some options for stereo and mono. And I feel like we're coming to the point of our whole, you know, uh, podcast towards the end of it, but it, it makes good sense. Some other things to consider choosing a mono stereo kind of configuration and setting yourself up for, you know, running two signals out of a, a single instrument is that um, we didn't talk about this earlier, but you're going to get some crosstalk. You're going to get a little bit of the bass side coming into the top side of the melody pickup, and vice versa. If you're using some type of overdrive in the melody side, you'll probably capture that a little bit on the bass string. And that is life. That's like how the instrument was designed. And, you know, if you've ever been in the studio with the Chapman stick, you know, you're going to get bleed. Just don't fight it unless you're going to isolate actually one hand and record it independently, you know, and then record the left hand is, as well on a, on a separate channel. You can get that kind of isolation. And, and a lot of players record that way, you know, um, in, in some cases I've recorded that way. I know Don's done that in the past. Don Ship has done that in the past. That's what works. And when you're in the studio, you know, you've got seven minutes to do this. Um, and that's maybe the path you take. Um, yeah, but when you're in the coffee shop, you, well, okay, you don't have that option. So like you're saying, it's just, you know, you just live with it and you deal with it. That's right. So you're going to get a little bit of crossover. It, it may be more pronounced on some pickups or some pickup configurations. You know, I don't know. I, I know that with the Active 2, I, I, I tend to be, it's a little more omnipresent. You know, whereas if I'm using some sort of drive in the right hand, which is uncommon, but I'll get it on the bass side or I get a little bit of uh, bleed from the bass side into the melody side pickup. So... I think that that just about covers everything that we had set out to cover. <laughs> My girlfriend is celebrating the end of this podcast because we have taken <laughs> a good three hours to talk through what it takes to actually run a single beam instrument into two separate outputs. She is jumping for joy in the kitchen. So uh, not an easy topic, not an easy subject, but certainly one that is worthy of our time and effort. So we've, we've, we've covered cabling, we've covered amps, we've covered different types of configurations of, of preamps and puddle boards. We've covered different combinations and the way that amps or mixers in particular accept an input, whether it's TRS or TS, a lot of considerations. And I suppose 
kind of the, the takeaway is, and I'll kind of let you guys kind of elaborate at this, um, is know what you're after and what, like when you close your eyes and you imagine, you know, what your rig looks like and hopefully it's something simple, that it's something simple and easy to deal with and that you've got two of everything so that when it does break, that you're able to accommodate. Actually, that's something you should say. You can't stress that, that enough. Have two of everything because... If it breaks, when you're in a band, you're in a band. But if you're alone in a coffee shop yeah. or whatever, and if something <laughs> stops working, it, everybody stops, you know. Yeah. So the whole oh, band wow. stops. Everything. I is, see another episode theme, you know, things to watch <laughs> out for when you're playing out. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of the D things you should really have, like two cables, two sets of uh, whatever, because if, you, if something stops working, then you have a big, big, big trouble. Right. And I'll kind of pass the conch here for one last time, because it's not just running a TS from a bass or a guitar into an amp. It's a whole different realm that we're working in. It's a much higher level, right? There's, there is some intricacy involved with certain types of cables and there's not a lot of, you can't compromise that. You can't just borrow a cable. And so that's something to consider when you're thinking about how you're going to run two signal pads. And so Vic Rod, I'm going to kind of say good night on that note. So this has been a pretty big geek fest uh, <laughs> uh, on this. So, <laughs> Okay, well, that just about wraps it up for this episode, and we hope you enjoyed it. So for the next episode, what we have on tap is uh, we're going to do something that's not quite so technical. We're going to talk about stories that we have from going to seminars. Uh, we've all pounded uh, at one time or another about how valuable going to seminars is and how good it is to get in a room with people that understand the instrument and can talk it with you. And we're going to talk about that. And some of these things, you know, we'll be talking about maybe things that helped you become a better player you learned at a seminar, or maybe some anecdotes that aren't necessarily about music. Maybe something funny that happened during a performance, or maybe a time you saw someone do something that made your jaw hit the floor. Uh, anyway, so we're going to go ahead and talk about some seminar stories. Having said all that, we hope that sometime in the next day or so, you get a chance to pick up your instrument and play for a little while. And with that, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye for now. We welcome your comments. You can contact us by email at tapintimepodcast at gmail.com. 